Good morning. How you guys doing this morning? Are you cold? Cold, anybody? Man, it, uh, it, <laughs> winter is here. Uh, this morning, I had the fun opportunity to wake up early with my kids, which I get you know that fun opportunity every day. Uh, but it, I have a four-year-old and a, about a one-and-a-half-year-old, and they were seeing the snow as if it was for the first time. And there's something actually pretty awesome about that. So as much as I dislike the cold, those kind of moments make it almost worth it. So uh, it's good to be here, good to be warm, hopefully together. Uh, my name is John Anderson. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at Dora Creek uh, Church. And, uh, you know, as I'm approaching uh, my one-year anniversary of being on staff here uh, in just a couple weeks, one of the really special things about being here this last year has been being around uh, so many great passionate, gifted teachers and communicators. Um, just last week, RD gave an excellent message going through the first part of Luke chapter 5. Uh, if you haven't watched it or you weren't here uh, and haven't listened to it, please do because he does a great, great job. Uh, and as he goes through the first part of Luke chapter 5, he talked about the kingdom of God and how Jesus came to, to bring the kingdom of God. And in simplest forms, the kingdom of God is where God runs the show. It's where his, his rule and his reign are, are real. And the kingdom of God is this really interesting reality. It's this reality uh, that exists both here and now, uh, where any of his people are living under his rule, living in obedience to him. But then it's also this future reality. It's this, this someday reality when Jesus is going to return and put things all under his authority. And so it's an already but not yet reality. And already talked a lot about, you just kind of unpack that. Now because God is, is a loving God and a gracious God, uh, his kingdom is a good kingdom. In fact, it's an ideal kingdom and it's very different than much of our day-to-day reality. Uh, but what practically does the kingdom of God look like that Jesus came and, and inaugurated? We're going to see a couple glimpses of what that practically looks like as we go through the second part of Luke chapter 5 today, as we're going to catch glimpses of this kingdom and, and see it, this invitation to live a different way, an invitation that's for all of us. And so I'm really excited to kind of walk through this together. Uh, but before we do that, let's just set the stage one more time by going to, back to Luke chapter 4, uh, verse 16, Luke chapter 4, verse 16, and the words will actually be up here on the screen so you can follow along in your Bibles or on the screen. Uh, Luke chapter 4, verse 16. This is kind of setting the stage for the whole conversation today. He stood up, that, that is Jesus, he stood up, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Wow. If we, if, if we let that kind of sink in, that is quite the statement. Now, for those of you guys who are perhaps visual learners like myself, uh, let me show you just a really simple um, 
visual that's kind of helped me understand the difference between the kingdom of people and the kingdom of God. And for those of you sitting over here, I'll just kind of move this a little bit because it's not on video this morning, and so I can do that. Um, all right, so here's a, and you're going to see pretty quickly why I was in the gifted and talented art class in middle school and high school here. All right, so here's the kingdom of people, and uh, here's a visual that just kind of represents this. So you excited? Ooh, all right. Feel the energy in the room. All right, here it is. Whoa. Here, just so you don't feel left out. There you go. Okay, so this, uh, this is a picture of the kingdom of people, and in this kingdom, uh, the things uh, that kind of matter are power, wealth, beauty, fame. And those who have power, wealth, beauty, and fame, they, they kind of exist up in, in this area of the kingdom of people. And for the rest of us, this is much, much of our attention is focused on this part of the kingdom of people. In our culture, these are the, our celebrities. There are cultural uh, small g gods, really. And success in this kingdom is often defined by finding wherever you are, you know, whether you put yourself here, 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 whatever, and you're just trying to move up just a little bit. Right? At the very least, you're staying where you're at. You just want things a little better for your kids. You just want your business to do it just a little better. You just want to be moving up just a little bit. And it should be noted that in the kingdom of people, uh, religion is alive and well. Religion is a measure, the success of religion is measured by how well you do whatever set of religious activities are important to you. So maybe that's, you know, praying, uh, reading the Bible, memorizing scripture, going to church, meditation, whatever that is. It doesn't have to be, you know, within Christianity, but whatever those religious practices is, however successful you are at them is how success is defined in the kingdom of people. And this simple illustration is generally how the world works. Not bad for a triangle, huh? All right, now Jesus comes and he gives us this glimpse, this picture. He invites us into this alternative reality, this kingdom of God. And essentially, here's what it does. It takes the kingdom of people and it flips it on its head. Here, check this out. Here's a picture of the kingdom of God. Just simply like that. Here, again, there you go. Woohoo! Okay, in case you felt like you're missing out. Now, here in this kingdom of God, this is where the all-powerful, all-knowing God enters this world as a baby. He enters it into poverty, into obscurity. This all-powerful God comes in and places himself here and becomes a servant to us all. And in this kingdom, success is defined by wherever we find ourselves moving down towards Christ, towards God. In this kingdom, Jesus gives us a picture that when we live this way, when we live in this flipped kingdom, we experience life and hope and beauty and healing. And it doesn't make sense. In this kingdom, the first are last, but the last are first. And if that all feels kind of conceptual to you, we're going to, as we go through this passage today, we're going to land on some very practical pictures of what this kingdom looks like. And we're going to have two different ways in which we're going to see Jesus inviting us out of the kingdom of people into the kingdom of God as he kind of challenges our ideas about relationships and ritual. And so uh, take your Bibles. We're going to go through the second half of Luke chapter 5. So take your Bibles, uh, either on your phones or whatever, and Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 27. All right, 527. After this, 
And sorry, let me quick pause here and just remind us what after this is. So what just happened, if you scan back in your Bible or you remember the last week, uh, what just happened is that Jesus has healed both physically and spiritually this paralyzed man. And the people who witnessed this, the people who saw this happen, they are praising God. They cannot believe what's happening. Maybe, maybe he's the one. Maybe he's the one that we've been waiting for. And so they're starting, you know, the rumors and stories are spreading like wildfire as Jesus is giving flesh to this passage in Isaiah. So here's the context, okay? So, sorry, let's go back to the story. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. And a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. They said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours go on eating and drinking. Jesus answered, Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he's with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. And in those days they will fast. He told them this parable. No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they will have torn the new garment, and the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins, and the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, wants the new. For they say, the old is better. All right. So there's a lot going on here. So let's just kind of go back through this text one more time. I just want to encourage you to follow along. And we're going to go through it a little bit more slowly and unpack it. And what we're going to do is we're going to try to catch these glimpses of this alternative reality, this kingdom of God that Jesus is inviting all of us to join him there. So back to verse 27. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. All right, so already in these first two verses, there's this pretty incredible story happening. Jesus is just traveling down the road, you know, with whoever's with him. And what would have been the case in those days is as you went from city to city, there would have been tax booths where the tax collectors sat and collected money for the Roman Empire, who was in military control over the entire nation. But not only did they collect the the money required by the Roman government, but they also collected other taxes on top of that. And whatever they collected on top of that, they kept for themselves. And so, as you can probably imagine, the tax collectors were not everybody's favorite people. In fact, that is a wild understatement. They were hated. They were despised. They were seen as traitors to their nation. Because while the majority of people lived in poverty, the tax collectors were actually relatively wealthy. And that's because they thrived off the oppression of their own people. So you can see why they were not well loved. But notice what Jesus does here. 
He initiates a relationship. He goes towards Levi and he invites him to follow him. And doing this, Jesus is acting against all kinds of social norms for the religious leaders. By going towards, by initiating a relationship, a friendship with someone who is seen as the epitome of unrighteous. And Levi responds to this invitation. And, and we don't know why exactly. Maybe it's because Levi's uh, heard that he's a great teacher, you know, and, and he wants to be part of that. Maybe he's heard these stories about Jesus going around and healing people with a touch. We don't know. But we, we, what we do know is he acts with great faith because he leaves everything behind to follow Jesus. So let's continue in verse 29. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. And a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And so now, now we have the scene change. And we find ourselves in Levi's house. What's happening? He's throwing a huge party. And there are all kinds of people there. There are his friends and his associates. And who are these people? Well, they're people like, like him. I love how the message translates it. It says this. Uh, everybody was there, tax men and other disreputable characters, as guests at the dinner. And in this, in this cultural setting, at this time, eating with someone, that was an act of really significant hospitality. You ate with the people that you wanted to associate yourself with. And this, this meal right here, this specific scene, would have given the impression the appearance that Jesus was endorsing the way that the guests were living. And it was making them his companions, even his, his friends. And so in response to what Jesus is doing, the Pharisees complain. And uh, I love this word for complain in verse 30. Uh, it's the same word that's used to describe how the Israelites complained and whined in the desert after they left Egypt. It's, a, it's an onomatopoeia. You remember these? It's a word that sounds like what it means. Uh, and unfortunately for me, it reminds me far too much of my 18-month-old daughter, who I love dearly, uh, many nights when she gets food that she's not excited about. And the scene is generally something like this. Like, here you go, Charlotte. And you guys, it is the worst. It is the worst sound in the world. It's like right up there for me with like the fingernails on the chalkboard or the sound of the dentist drill. Anybody else? Whining kids. No, not good. Some of you have forgotten. It's bad. <laughs> Pray for us. Um, and that's what's happening here. This is what essentially what the Pharisees are doing as they're watching Jesus befriend these people who are less than respectable. They're complaining. They're whining. <sighs> But why? why? Why is this such a big deal to them? Why did they care so much? And here's why. The Pharisees are upset because they took holiness very, very seriously. And they were extremely, extremely careful to remain pure and to avoid spiritual contamination at all costs. I, I, I can almost promise you that they were more careful about that sort of thing than any of us here have ever been. And so to that end, they practiced this form of, of separatism where they walled themselves off from those kinds of people. And in doing so, they felt like that improved their standing before God. And what Jesus does instead is that he moves into the mess. He moves towards those in need 
so that they might experience healing. And what Jesus is doing in this scene is he is challenging the Pharisees' understanding and view of holy living. And he's actually telling them that they, they dishonor God by avoiding people that God himself has created who bear his image, no matter how messed up they are. And so when this happens, the Pharisees are offended. Let's continue. Verse 31. Jesus answered them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And so Jesus answers their complaint with this metaphor. It's not healthy people who need medical help. It's the sick who need medical help. And Jesus invites those in need of healing to find a better life, a better way, a new life in him. But the problem for the religious leaders listening here is that they don't actually recognize their own sickness. And so they don't see their own need for healing. They actually think they're doing just fine the way things are. And that's because their, their faith is in, in their, their obedience to the law. But in the process of working so hard to be obedient to God's law, they have missed their own sickness, their own need for salvation. And they've missed the universal love of God for all people. And so what do we see so far about these kingdoms? What can we witness in the story so far? Well, here's one thing. The Pharisees are living by the rules of the kingdom of people. For them, personal piety is of utmost importance. And so they, to that end, they avoid contact with those who are spiritually or physically unclean. The, the Pharisees, because of their achievements, are somewhere near the top of the pyramid because of how well they follow the law and do the religious activities and practices. Whereas the lepers, the cripples, the tax collectors at the bottom... So they avoid them. But in the kingdom of God, Jesus dismisses this idea that separatism leads to some kind of holiness. Jesus doesn't avoid the sinners. He moves towards them in friendship, in relationship. He initiates it so they might experience healing and hope and life. In the kingdom of, of people, we generally build relationships based on who benefits us. You know, It's about mutual benefit or at least I get something out of this. But in the kingdom of God, we build relationships to know Christ, to point ourselves and those around us towards him. And Jesus reveals that in the kingdom of God, everyone is on this equal playing field. All of us need to repent. All need healing. And all are offered forgiveness and new life in Christ. And, and this message, that, you know, that core message, is incredibly exciting. It's full of hope and joy for these sinners who have experienced rejection and judgment from everybody around them. I mean, we see that throughout the Gospels. People like that respond positively to Jesus in swarms. They're just following him. They're crowding around him. They can't get enough of him. However, that exact same message is deeply insulting to the religious people because they're being told that the religious activities that they've dedicated their lives to, that they've given everything to, it's not good enough. And they are far less righteous than they thought. And today, we too uh, can easily slip into different forms of separatism. 
We can, we can easily shield ourselves off from um, behaviors or other people that we feel like we're, just, we're afraid that they're going to infect us. They're going to infect those that we love. It reminds me of some of these images that we see all over the news right now of people in hazmat suits uh, when they're dealing with Ebola. And here's one image up on the screen here um, just to kind of give you a visual. And there's all kinds of these, all right? Now, in this case... These people are rightly protecting themselves from a deadly infection. But I just want to leave this up here for a second. Because we too can tend to do the same sort of thing with other people, but for religious reasons. But the way we do it is a little bit more subtle than this. (laughs) It's where we live. It's where we work. It's who we spend time with. We most easily associate and connect with people who are very much like ourselves, and we're able to do that pretty easily in the world the way it's structured today. And often it's this series of, of little choices that leads us to a place where we are totally cut off from those who are most in need of the love and the grace of God. And this, uh, unfortunately, is a very real danger for all churches, not just Door Creek, but us as included, for all churches, this is a danger that we can become a religious club that, you know, we gather together, we sing songs, we listen to sermons like this, um, we do a bunch of religious activity, but all the while avoiding meaningful relationships with our coworkers, our neighbors, those around us who desperately need the love of Christ. And sadly, uh, if I'm being honest with you guys, one of the easy responses for me as I read the story in Luke it's something like this, like, I'm so thankful that Jesus came to, to heal the sick. And man, I really hope that they repent. I hope that they find healing in him. I'll pray for them. But the potentially unpleasant mission of Jesus is that we, I, am the sick that he came to heal. And even if we've placed our faith in Christ, even if we've been given this new life by grace in him, we do not become the physician. We become the recovered. Have you ever uh, met somebody who uh, was really sick and then they've experienced some kind of miraculous healing? Have you ever met, or maybe you are that kind of person, and that's your story. Um, I've had the pleasure of knowing a number of people like this uh, because of my job. And uh, to a person, they love to tell their stories. You know, you ask them like, hey, just tell me a little bit about that. And boom, you're like locked in for the next hour. They just love to tell you the stories. And all of them have essentially kind of the similar story arc. You know, it's hope was almost lost. Things were looking grim. And then because of an amazing medical team or the power of prayer, an unexpected miracle, they've experienced healing. And now, man, they are just so thankful for every day that they have. And that's the story of Levi. And it's our story too, even if it doesn't feel that dramatic. And so it it brings up a good question. How can we, like Levi that we see in the story, both celebrate the healing that we've experienced and invite those around us to introduce them to Christ? How can we be the kind of place that welcomes all people into our lives as individuals and as a church. Now here's a, an excerpt from one church's welcome statement that I just want to read to you guys. And the words will be up at the screen so you can kind of follow along. And as you're seeing these words, I just want you to kind of be aware in your heart of what jumps out at you throughout all these. All right, so here's their welcome statement. I'll just kind of read through it. You can follow along on the screen. 
We extend a special welcome to those who are single, married, divorced, gay, filthy rich, dirt poor, yo no hablo inglés. We extend a special welcome to those who are crying newborns, skinny as a rail, or could afford to lose a few pounds. We welcome you if you can sing like Andrea Bocelli, or like our pastor who can't carry a note in a bucket. And this is not about Mark. You're welcome here if you're just browsing, just woke up, or just got out of jail. We don't care if you're more Catholic than the Pope or haven't been in church since little Joey's baptism. We extend a special welcome to those who are over 60, but not grown up yet, and to teenagers who are growing up too fast. We welcome soccer moms, NASCAR dads, starving artists, tree huggers, latte sippers, vegetarians, junk food eaters. We welcome those who are in, the, in recovery or still addicted. We welcome you if you're having problems or you're down in the dumps or you don't like organized religion. We've been there too. If you blew all your offering money at the dog track, you're welcome here. We offer a special welcome to those who think the earth is flat, work too hard, don't work, can't spell, or because grandma's in town and wanted to go to church. We welcome those who are inked, pierced, or both. We offer a special welcome to those who could use a prayer right now. Had religion shoved down your throat as a kid or got lost in traffic, wound up here by mistake. We welcome tourists, seekers, and doubters, bleeding hearts, and you. Now, in the kingdom of God, all are welcomed. And so how can we further and maintain that reality here, within our homes, our lives, and as a church community? Now, let's continue, and we're going to see one more glimpse of this kingdom of God as we continue on in the story. So let's do that. Verse 33. They said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours go on eating and drinking. Jesus answered, Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days they will fast. Now the Pharisees, they're turning their questions away from uh, relationships and turning them towards Religious ritual, specifically fasting. And now fasting, this was an incredibly important religious practice. It signified repentance, somber reflection, dependence on God. As you read through the Gospels, you'll see Jesus fasted. But here, Jesus is pointing out that the Pharisees have missed the point of fasting. They have turned this important religious practice into ritual, While Jesus is on earth, it is time for celebration. It is time like a wedding. It is time to party. But the time of fasting, it will come again. He's saying that religious activities exist to help people connect with God, to come to know him. They are a means to an end, and they are not the measurement of righteousness. Uh, Now, when I was in high school... Uh, the church that I was part of, they had a a student district conference, uh, not unlike the one that many of our students here go to around uh, New Year's Eve. And so uh, hundreds of students would gather from around the area. And we would gather to to worship and to learn more about God and to flirt, which I'm sure is very different than the students here. But this was us. 
And this conference, it had a very standard schedule. It was, you know, it had large group times where everybody would be there together, and it had a bunch of breakouts that you could go to, and you could kind of pick between them. And I don't remember why uh, now I I picked this breakout, but I I roughly remember the name of it was How to Pray for 30 Minutes Without Falling Asleep. And uh, remember, I'm a teenager here, okay? So so I I went to this breakout, and the the teacher of the breakout, you know, began with a few statements about um, prayer and kind of teaching us, you know, how to hand out and those kinds of things. And then he said, you know what, instead of, of talking about how you can do this for the next hour or however long we had together, he's like, I'm just going to show you. I'm going to lead by example. So I'm going to pray for 30 minutes so you can see it's possible. So he began to pray. And I fell asleep in less than two minutes. <laughs> and I remember feeling like such a failure because I was measuring success by whether or not I was able to accomplish this specific religious task. And, and it, it can still be easy for me to measure my spiritual health by the amount of my, my religious activity. If you're going to ask me, like, how's my relationship with God? And, you, you know, if you ask that, that's great. I love it when people ask me that. How's my relationship with God going? It is hard for me not to just list off religious activities. You know, it's easy for me to answer something like this. Like, well, you know, I've been reading the Bible, and I've been praying and serving a little bit. And, you know, not, I mean, not as much as I like, and I'm really busy, and I've got two little kids. But, you know, I'm trying really hard, and things with God, you know, they're good. I mean, they're not, they could be better, but they're generally pretty good, you know. It's, it's great. Thanks for asking. And anybody else like this? It, it can be so easy to forget that righteousness is not determined by ritual, Religious activities like fasting, reading the Bible, gathering together as a church, these are important, but they are a means to an end. The end is to know Christ. And that end is worth giving all of ourselves to. But we have to be so careful not to judge the health of our relationship with God by how full our calendars are with spiritual stuff. I love this quote um, by Dallas Willard about being disciplined in spiritual practices. He says this, May I give you this word. Grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude. Effort is an action. And so the problem with the Pharisees is not that they were disciplined at doing spiritual practices, but It's that they felt like they had earned a right standing before God because of them. It's good. It is good. Let me say it again. It is good for us to work hard to know God. But that does not earn us righteousness. That's only possible from God by his grace. And that is good news. Because this again gives us a glimpse of the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God... Jesus frees us from these guilt-based religious activities that we tend to put on our own shoulders. He frees us from that. Instead, he invites us to come and to know him in a relational way. The creator of the universe wants to know us and for us to know him. And then in these last few verses of our passage today, Jesus says the same thing three different ways. He's come to bring a new way a way that doesn't fit with the old way, and a way that not everybody is going to be excited about. Not everybody is going to want to be part of it. Those who are used to the kingdom of people, they're going to be pretty happy there. But he's inviting us into a new way, a way of life. And throughout the gospel of Luke, Jesus is showing us this new way of living into the kingdom of God. 
And for us, this is a lifelong process of living into that reality because it runs counterintuitive to almost everything we know. But this is a place of life and of hope. And we're called to bring those around us to join us there and to bring things under his rule. In the kingdom of God, all relationships exist to point people to the king, to the great physician, to Jesus. In this place, the sick are healed. The dead are brought back to life. It's a place of celebration. It's a place of grace. And it's a place that exists here and now when we as individuals and corporately live in obedience to God's good rule. Now in the kingdom of people, religious activities are done to advance our standing before God. And this leads to loads of pressure to do spiritual stuff and lots of guilt when we inevitably fail. And we will, we do. However, in the kingdom of God, spiritual activities like fasting, prayer, studying the Bible, tithing, exist to help us connect with God in a deeper, more meaningful way. And our standing before God, it's not determined by the amount of spiritual activity that we do, but it's by his grace. And so here's my hope and my prayer for me and for all of us, is that may we live into the kingdom of God, welcoming and pursuing relationships with those around us who desperately need God's love and grace and healing. And may we spend our time in spiritual practices so that we might know the creator God more and more every day. So let me pray for us. God, I thank you that you came into this world and you showed us a new way. A way of hope and life and grace and healing that's found in you. And I pray that we would experience that ourselves, that we would invite those around us in our lives to come to know you. That we would work hard at the things that help us connect with you. And that we would be a community of grace that that is a light on a hill where people see you, and that you are glorified in our midst. In your name, amen.